Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. You remember when you, um, you would go to the cafeteria for lunch? I say remember when some of you were, well, you students, you were like, well, that was last week. Um, but for, for maybe some others, maybe that's been a while. But you went to the cafeteria for lunch and you, you got the tray and the tray had all the sections and, and it kept your, your pizza or your steak fingers or your chicken strips from encroaching on the mashed potatoes or the peaches or the corn or the peas or whatever. And everything was compartmentalized and everything was separated from everything else and everything had its space and everything had its, its place and, and this didn't interfere with that and, and everything was sort of nice, neat and tidy and parceled out. I think that is the way that many of us try to live our lives. We try to live our lives very compartmentalized and that's not a bad thing in some, in some ways. I mean, there are times that you don't want to bring your work home. And there are times where you want to keep your hobbies separated from, from this area of your life, or you want to keep this separated from that. I'm not, I'm not talking about a healthy type of separation. I don't, I'm not talking about uh, being able to unplug and unwind and disconnect for, uh, for, for your own mental health, but also just so you can go live life. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is we compartmentalize our lives so much that we can take one of those segments of our tray, so to speak, and we can put our life with Christ, we can put God, we can put our spirituality in one of those segments. Instead of recognizing that every one of those different parts of our lives, all of those are under the care and the control, and if we are a Christian, the ownership of God himself. And so Jesus is not one of the sections, one of the compartments into which we can nicely, neatly, tidily place him and then say, don't touch everything else. Don't interfere with everything else. No, he's over all of it. And so we have to understand that when we approach a life with Christ, we are approaching one who rules over every area of our lives. He's not a part of our life. He is over all of our life. And I think that that one distinction is one of the things that we find in the church of America today or in America today that causes a lot of problems because we want to have everything nice and neat and tidy and we want Jesus to kind of stay in a particular place until we need him. Sort of like, you know, we put him behind glass and we say, you just stay there, but in case of emergency, I'll break that glass and then I'll let you out and you can deal with my issue and then you need to get back out of the way. That's not the way that Jesus intended that. And I think that that separation and that compartmentalization is one of the reasons that we find the church in America today being so incredibly weak. Now, I know we say, oh, but the church is going to survive. The church will prevail. Yes, yes, she will. That's the promise. But, but we see the church today kind of limping. The church doesn't seem very victorious. The church seems like a a wounded, battered type of warrior. 
And so whenever we approach God's word, we have to, we have to look at what does God's word say about how we live this, this life. And one of the things that I really and truly believe is that we need to care more about fewer things. We need to care more about less. We need to live a life of more and less. Caring more about fewer things. Caring much more deeply about a smaller number of things. Now sometimes we say, well, that's prioritizing. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about prioritizing. Let me give you an interesting little, uh, a little historical fact. The word priority came into usage in English sometime around the 1400s. And for 500 years, that word was always used in its singular form, priority, because that's what the word means. The one most important thing out of everything, the prior thing, the thing that overrules everything. That's the idea of priority. It wasn't until the 1900s, some 500 years later, that we started talking about priorities, Well, you can't have technically priorities. You can only have a priority. Now, I know we say, well, well, I use that all the time. Well, I know we use it a lot. We use that in culture a lot. But technically, you can't have priorities. You can only have a priority. And then everything else comes off of the priority. For a Christian, Jesus is the priority. More importantly, knowing God through Jesus, that's the priority. Everything else, all the other segments, all the other compartments in your tray fall under that. So today I want us to walk through some biblical truths about knowing God. Now here's what you're going to find. There's probably not anything that we're going to talk about today, but what you haven't heard it before. If you've been here very long, I know you've heard many of these things before, but it just may be that you haven't connected them together in this way. So today, what I would like for us to do is I want us to go through, and and this is going to happen pretty quick. I know some of you are already panicking because you're looking at, at what, like seven or eight points or something, and you're already thinking, we're never going to get done. I'm never going to beat the Methodist to Cracker Barrel. You will, all right? So stay put. But I want us to walk through this and understand that all of these things are connected. These are all connected in the way that we live our lives for Christ. In knowing God as our priority, every other thing comes off of that. Every other thing that we do, how we live, how we think, everything, it all goes back to knowing God. So let's look at this. I just want to start out with with Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. The words of Paul, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, okay, let's time out for a second. What has Paul just done? Paul in Philippians 3 has just listed his earthly credentials. He's just listed his religious standing from a human standpoint. He's listed all of these things that should put him in the upper echelon of spirituality for anybody who would try to compare their own lives to his. And Paul says, all these things that I looked at as gain, all these things that I would put on my spiritual ledger sheet, the things that I would put in the list and say, these are gain for me. Notice what he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, here it is, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Literally, I count them as manure. All his worldly, all his worldly credentials, all of his, his spiritual credentials that he would look at and people would say, wow, look at, look at how incredibly spiritual Paul is. That must count for something. Paul says it does. It counts for something. It all counts to nothingness. It's not just worthless. It's harmful. I count it all as manure whenever I compare these things to knowing Christ. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul says, my priority, singular, my priority is knowing Christ. That's it. And I count everything else loss when compared to knowing Christ. So what do we make of this? How do we live our lives with that sort of focus? Well, we need to understand a few things. The first one is this. God desires that we know him. God desires that we know him. And when we say the word no, and we're going to talk more about this in just a moment, I'm not talking about, oh yeah, I know him, I'm saved, I know him, I've prayed a prayer, I know him, yeah, 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 yeah. No, we're talking about more than that. This is the word that means to intimately, personally, deeply know someone or something. God wants us to know him at a deep, personal level, a transformative level. Listen to Jeremiah 9, 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Oh, those are all things that we would like to boast in, right? Our wisdom, our might, our riches. He says, don't, don't boast in that. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God says, if you're, if you're going to, to boast in something, boast in the fact that you know me. Now notice, we're going we're gonna to look at this in a little bit. We only know him because of his grace and his mercy. It's not our own doing. It's not something we can go around and say, I know God. You don't know God. I know God. Look what I did. You didn't do it. God's the one who does the work. But God desires that we know him. That's God's desire. That we know him him deeply personally intimately listen to how important this is to god in hosea chapter 6 verse 6 god speaks for i desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of god rather than burnt offerings now wait a minute is god saying that he doesn't want people to worship him no he wants people to worship him is god saying don't give me those burnt offerings no that's not what he's saying he's saying it's more important that you know me It's more important that you know me than to go through the religious posturing, than to go through the religious procedure, to jump through the holy hoops. It's more important that you know me. The sacrifices don't mean anything if you don't know me. What would we say today? Church, church attendance doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything if you think you're going to be, I'm going to go attend church and I'm going to be okay because I'm going to do my duty and I'm going to put in my time. No, God desires that you know him. 
Yeah, but I'm really, really busy for God. Yeah, but do you know God? Do you know him? Are you growing in that deep, personal, intimate relationship with God? God desires that. Now, I know there are some people who are very goal-oriented, and they'll say something like this. Well, I had a guy tell me this one time. Well, I don't like doing anything halfway. So if I can't know God completely right here, right now, I just don't know why I should try. Can I just give you a good theological explanation of that statement? That is dumb. That's dumb. Seriously. You're just basically trying to make an excuse for your own spiritual laziness. That's just dumb. No, it's true. We cannot know God here now fully. But we can know God here now truly. There's a difference. You, you, you know, there's no human that you know fully. And you may say, oh, that's, I, know, I know my spouse fully. <laughs> okay, no. We'll talk to your spouse. No, you, you don't, you, but you know them truly. You can know them better than anybody else. But you can't know someone even here fully. We can't know God fully, but we can know him truly. And God calls us to a true knowledge of him. Well, how does that happen? Well, it happens through Jesus. Because here's what we know, that Jesus knows his father perfectly. Now, we can't know God perfectly, fully, completely right here, right now, but we can know him truly. But Jesus does. Jesus knows his father completely, fully, perfectly. Listen to John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Notice what he says. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And then again, what is eternal life? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He continues in verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Before, before, before there was any let there be's. The, the glory that I have with you, the perfect type of relationship that I have with you in your presence, that's what I want. Jesus has a perfect relationship with his father. He's saying, oh no, I'm going to be back in your presence and in your presence, enjoying that perfect relationship. Jesus has an absolutely perfect relationship with his father because Jesus is absolutely and perfectly without sin. So God wants us to know him. Jesus knows him perfectly, and so that is the reason that we know God the Father through Jesus alone. He's the only way that we can know God. That's it. John 1, 18, no one has seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has shown us the character of God. This is why Jesus says in John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, or said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because Jesus has a perfect relationship with his Father. 
And God desires that we know him. And so it's only through Jesus that we can know God. Matthew eleven twenty seven, All things have been handed over to me by my father. And no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. The only, the only one that truly and completely knows God the Father in his fullness is the Son. And then he allows those, he gives to those who know him or seek him, follow him, the understanding of who he is. And that's why we find in Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both, that word both means Jew and Gentile, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We only have access to God the Father through God the Son, through Jesus. That's it. And his Holy Spirit that he gives us so that we are, we'll talk about in a second, we're transformed into his likeness. So God wants us to know him. Jesus knows God perfectly, and it's only through Jesus that we can know God the Father. Now, I said I'd mention this earlier. I said I'd mention this later, so later has now come. Whenever we talk about salvation, so many times we'll, we will say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know God. I'm saved. Remember a few weeks ago we, we did that, we talked about that, that three parts or the three tenses of salvation. Uh, it's, an, it's an old saying that we, if you're a Christian, all right, this is just for a Christian, right? If you're a Christian, past tense, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. And we say that as Christians... We are being saved from the power of sin. And we say that we will be saved from the presence of sin. That's what the Bible says. We have been saved from the penalty. We are being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved one day from the presence of sin when we are in the presence of God. And so we, we have those, that progression. So many times we leave off knowing God at the first one. I'm saved from the penalty of sin. I know God, dust my hands, and now all I have to do is just wait around until I die. And God's going to help me do my own thing until I reach that point. Okay, can I tell you, knowing God entails the other two tenses of salvation. And if we, if we add on anything, if we, if we go beyond we have been saved from the penalty. We skip over this middle one and we go all the way to, I know one day I'm going to be saved from the presence of sin. Okay. We are right now in this place if we are followers of Christ. We are being saved from the power. That's the idea of sanctification. We are being made more and more into the likeness of Christ himself. God intends for us to be transformed fully into the likeness of Jesus. And that's what he's working in us right now. And in that working, that occurs as we know God, as we walk with him. He intends for that to happen. He intends for that transformation to take place. First John 3, 2, John writes, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now that's the ultimate intent. That's that we will be saved, right? But what happens right now? Right now, God is working us toward that. Here's what we have to understand. 
If you are a follower of Christ, now if you're not a follower of Christ right now, this is just hypothetical. But if you are a follower of Christ, if you, and I'm, saying, I'm not saying hypothetical is not true, I'm saying hypothetical in that it has not yet been applied to your life through faith in Christ. But if you are a follower of Christ, your eternal life began the moment you surrendered to Christ. Your eternal life does not begin when you draw your final breath. No, that's just a change of address. Your eternal life, though, from death to life, from darkness to light, occurs the moment you surrender to Christ. Your eternal life begins then. And so now we, we live in this in-between place. We are kingdom citizens. We are God's children. We are new creations. And yet at the same time, we're not at our final destination yet. So we're, we are, we are these, these people who are, we are, we are eternal beings, but yet we're, we're in the middle of a temporal situation. And that's where we find ourselves. And God in this time, in this in-between is transforming us. Listen to Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And again, we say, yeah, but he's going to do that then. No, he will bring it to completion, meaning that right now he's working on us. Remember that old song? Some of you may have, may have sung it whenever you were kids. God's still working on me. He's still working on me, right? And I remember singing that when I was a little kid. Can't remember any other words to it, but I just remember that, right? He's still working on me. God is still changing us, transforming us, making us in the likeness of his son. And we're not here yet. That's what Paul writes, Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfected, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because Jesus has made Paul his own. And Paul recognizes I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to Jesus because of that now I've got to live my life in a way that reflects that. I, I live my life in a life of surrender. Now, that's not a really comfortable thing when we think about what we normally think about when we, we consider Americanized Christianity. It's very consumer-driven. It's very cultural-driven. It, it's very comfort-driven. And we, we tend to depend upon and, and look at Christianity through that lens. Instead of the lens that the Bible shows us, the lens of reality that says, we don't belong to ourselves. I don't get to do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, when I want to do it. No, because if I am a follower of Christ, I surrendered all those rights. I am his. I belong to him. I belong to him and to him alone. I'm completely and totally his. I am, I am, I am, I am a slave to him. That's what the Bible says. And in that, he transforms us and makes us into the likeness of, of Jesus. And I know people say, yeah, but, but, I think, but doesn't Jesus just, doesn't, doesn't God love me like I am? Yes, but as a Christian, he loves you too much to leave you just as you are. He transforms us into the likeness of his son. Why? So that we can know him. That's it. God wants us to know him. God transforms us into the image of his son so that we can even know him better. The question is, like, how are you changed? If, you, if we say, well, I know I'm a Christian. How were you changed? How did God change you? Well, God didn't change me that much. Really? How has God changed you? Well, I don't really see any change. Can I just be really bold? No change, no Jesus. 
That's it. That's not original to me, but that's it. No change, no Jesus. People say, well, I'm a a follower of Christ, but their life has not changed. Can I just tell you? They're not a follower of Christ, period. That's it. Yeah, 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 but, 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 but I prayed a prayer. Did you change? Did God radically, completely change you? And is he still changing you? You ask the question. People are like, well, I know I'm saved because, uh, you know, I, I, I said a prayer. Or I asked God to forgive me, so I know, I, I know I'm good. Okay, do you find that there were some changes that took place? Do you have a growing desire for God's word? Do you have a growing desire for prayer? Do you have a growing desire for God? Do you want people to, you want to see people be saved? Do you want, a people to, you want people to experience the knowledge of God like you experience the knowledge of God? All of those things you find are those tests of salvation. It's not just, well, I prayed a prayer, I'm okay. No. Did God change you? Is God changing you? If there is no change, biblically, there is no Jesus. Because Jesus changes you. Jesus transforms you. There's no way around that. Yeah, well, that's fine for some people, but for me, no. That's for every follower of Christ. No one is exempt. No one. And so he intends for us to be transformed in the likeness of his son. Because just as God desires that we know him, we may not realize it. But each one of us, we desire uninterrupted fellowship with God. Even if we don't know it. That's what we desire. Every single person who has ever been created has been created with a desire for God. But the problem is... We substitute all sorts of other things for God. Now, now understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about universalism. I'm not saying everybody is saved. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying in the end, God's going to work it all out and everybody's going to go to heaven. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I am saying, as one of the old philosophers said, that God has created in each one of us a heart-shaped space that can only be filled by him. But we try to fill it with all sorts of other things. Listen to to what uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. So, yet so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. He's put eternity into man's heart. Every single person is born with a desire for eternity. I sometimes refer to it as we, we remember Eden. We can remember what, there's some part of us that wants to get back there. Maybe we don't say it, and I know people are like, well, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe there ever was an Eden. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in any of that. Yet, you watch them. Oh, they sure do live like they're after something that's bigger than self. We all do. Because we all have a desire for God, even if we don't know that. We are, e- we are as we mentioned earlier, we're eternal beings. We're eternal beings with eternal, because everybody will live forever somewhere, okay? Everybody's going to live forever somewhere in heaven or hell. Everybody lives forever somewhere. Nobody just disappears and ceases to exist. Everybody lives forever. So we are eternal beings, and we've been given eternal desires by God, yet we settle for temporal fixes. We settle for all these lesser things. We're satisfied with lesser desires instead of what God's word tells us. And if our pursuits are too small, then we're going to settle for all sorts of things that do not lead us to know God. They will lead us away from God. So how do we live this life? What do we struggle against? If we're settling for these temporal things, why do we do that? I'm so glad you asked. 
that brings us, brings us to our next idea, right? By depending upon God's word and the Holy Spirit, we battle the influences that seek to keep us from knowing God. There are, and you've heard us talk about this. The three major influences that we combat on a daily basis. The world, the flesh, and Satan. The evil world system, the evil cultural system that we face, the system of corruption... And we battle our flesh, our own part, the own part of us, the unredeemed part of us as Christians, the, the part of us that is, that is not yet fully sanctified, the habits of who we used to be. And we once operated fully and completely in these corrupt desires without God trying to, without God working in us through his spirit. And then Satan, a very real Satan. Listen to Ephesians 2, 4. And you two one, I'm sorry. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Here it is, following the course of this world. There it is, the world. Following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So you've got you've got our own sinful desires, you've got Satan influencing us, and then you have the world system, the corrupt system of the world influencing us. And all of those are bent on keeping us from knowing God fully. I'm not talking about losing salvation. I'm talking about an intimate, deep, growing relationship with God. That's why we use God's word and we depend upon his spirit. Because whenever we're confronted by these spiritual enemies, we don't take up earthly weapons to try to deal with a spiritual enemy. This is what Paul records in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So how do we live? How do we live in such a way that we are not falling victim to the influences of the world and the flesh and Satan? You've heard me say it so many times. We die to self. That's it. Yeah, but but I think think we need to die to self. But I also think we need to, no, we need to die to self. Because the more dead I am to myself, the more freedom I am giving the Holy Spirit to work in my life through the word of God. You would be surprised at how incredibly effective it is when you, by the Spirit, die to self. Well, how, what does that work? What does that look like when you deny yourself? It looks like this. Whenever an opportunity presents itself, when I can choose God or I choose sin, I choose God. And then I do that again and again and again and again and again. Do you do that perfectly? No. But you, by the power of God, you say no to yourself and you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as God is revealed in his word. That's it. That's not legalism. That's depending upon the Holy Spirit to do this. This is why we find in John, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, and he said to all, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save him. We're to die to self. Why is it so hard to die to self when when Satan and the world and the flesh are all saying, no, 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 do these things? Remember in the Bible where, where we find that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light? And, and so many times we, we find Satan, he wants that worship that is due God. And he disguises himself as an angel of light. 
You know, you know what? Satan will masquerade as the Holy One. Satan will masquerade as an angel. Satan will masquerade in such a way that it sounds like his truth is, is very logical. and it should, you know, Maybe it's God's truth. Satan will masquerade as God. Our flesh will masquerade as the spirit. There are so many times that I've talked to people and they're like, well, it's just my spirit is, is just so grieved. And then you listen to them and you compare it to God's word and you're like, no, it's not. That's not, your spirit is not grieved. Your flesh is grumbling. There's a difference. And then you find that the world is saying, hey, this is all there is. You can have heaven right here. We've got Satan pretending to be God. We got our flesh pretending to be the spirit. And we got the world pretending to be heaven. We need discernment to know that, that God is the one that we are looking to, that Christ is the one who is transforming us by the power of the word and by the power of his spirit and that heaven awaits us. This is not home yet. And so because of that, we are not our own. We belong to him, which means we sacrifice everything, our mind, our will, our emotion, every bit of our lives, we sacrifice all of it to God. Because if we depend upon ourselves, we can get in all sorts of trouble. You do know that your expectations can be the enemy of God's plan. Your very expert, what you expect out of life can be the enemy of God's plan because you start putting that ahead of God. Your, your own opinions can be an enemy to God's truth because you say, well, I know what God's word says, but I believe so and so. Well, there's a problem with that. God's word is the final say so. I, you know, I hear people say sometimes they're like, you know, well, God said it and I believe it. That settles it. No, God said it. That settles it. Whether you believe it or not, it's settled because God said it. It's not dependent upon whether or not you believe it as to whether or not it's settled. It's settled in heaven because God said it. And then we have these desires and our desires. If we're not careful, our own selfish desires can be the enemy of God's own heart. So we die to self. Jesus paid the, and then we say, but but, wait, wait, but wait, I thought Jesus died once for all. Yes, Jesus paid a once for all price on the cross for our sin. And because of that, we must be willing to pay the daily cost of discipleship, which is death to self. That's it. There's no other way around that. If you're not, if you are not dying for Christ, you are not living for Christ. There's no way around that. There's no other, there's no option B. There's no other plan. That's it. If you're not dying daily for Christ, in those moments, you are not living for Christ. You're not giving evidence that you're his. And God, he intervenes. God starts meddling, right? Because God shows us grace in both his giving and his taking so that we might draw closer to him. His giving and his taking. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, it's a well-known passage. Jesus, of, or which of you, if his son asked for him, uh, ask him for bread, will give him a stone? Nobody would do that. If your child is hungry and asks for a piece of bread, you wouldn't say, here, have a rock. No, you wouldn't do that. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Dad, I'd love a catfish nugget. Have a cotton mouth. No, you wouldn't do that. Jesus is saying, nobody, you wouldn't do that. And then he says... If you then who are evil, right? I mean, if, if we're motivated by evil desires many of, much of the time, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So the idea is that Jesus is only going to give good gifts. 
And because of that, we can say, as Job said in Job chapter 1, verse 21, after he's lost everything, he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is worthy of worship in his giving, in his taking. God is worthy of worship. Have you ever had those things that God has taken from you and you're like, no, God, please don't take that. And then looking back, you realize, whoa, God, thank you so much for taking that. Because that has drawn me into a closer understanding of who you are. His gifts, they lead us to obedience, trust, and holiness. But also in his taking, he is leading us to obedience, trust, and holiness. His gifts or his taking, they're intended to strengthen and focus our desire for him. He gives and he takes out of his wisdom, out of his goodness, out of his love. And he he gives so that we can know him. And he takes from us so that we can know him. That's the whole point. So there may be things that God may be trying to take from you that are not good, Or there may be some things that are good that God is saying, I want you to know me. And we have to release that. Or there may be some things that God is wanting to give us. And we've got our hands full with our priorities. And we are mistaking uh, the understanding of what is really important. And we don't understand that there is a priority, which is knowing God. And so we may be like this child And we may be saying, oh, I need some bread, but our hands are full of stones of our own picking up. And God is saying, you have to release those things. You do realize that when your hands are empty, you've got a whole lot more room to receive the things that God wants to give. And so many times I believe in my own life, God's wanted to give bread and I've had handfuls of rocks hanging on to them. God's wanted to give a fish and I got my hands full of snakes. Listen, God wants us to know him. And God will do whatever it takes for us to know him. He'll discipline us. He will give. He will take. He will lead. He will guide. He will speak so that we may know him. And what's the result of this after we know him? Oh, that's great. Here's the result. When we know God, he will use us, here it is, to make himself known. That's the point. When we know God... And we intimately, deeply, passionately are following God and we know God. Then God says, I'm going to use you because you're being transformed in the likeness of my son. And I'm going to use the reflection of my son in you to make myself known to people who need to know him. To increase the amount of the glory and the praise and the honor that is directed toward me. That's it. Ephesians 1.10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and on earth. That's the ultimate plan. Everything united in Christ, under Christ, for Christ, for the glory of God. That's it. And we now can be a part of that. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a part of that. Yeah, well, that's great for pastors. That's great for ministry leaders. That's great. No, if you are a follower of Christ, God wants you to know him more deeply, follow him more closely, be transformed more into the likeness of his son, and then go out into the world and make him known. That's the point. That's the only reason that you are still here right now is to make him known. You are not waiting around until you draw your final breath or waiting around until God's trumpet sounds. You're not waiting around for that. You are here for a purpose and the purpose is to make him known. And you can only make that known which you yourself know. Period. 
Listen to what Jesus prays. This is before he goes to the cross. I would think that if Jesus is praying something before he goes to the cross, I'm thinking that it would be things that are super important for his kingdom and his plan. Listen to what he prays in John 17, 20. I do not ask for these only, these only being his disciples who are there with him then. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Wait a minute. You know who that is? That's you. That's me. We're the ones who have believed because of the word of the disciples. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is praying for us then. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is saying, Father, you're in me. I'm in you. And Father, I'm praying that they will be united as one, so the world will know. So they'll believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me. I have given to them that they may be one. Even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them. Even as you love me, father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That's it. That's what Jesus prays before he goes to the cross. That the followers of Christ who came later would be so intimately connected with each other in the knowledge of God through Christ that they would go and make him known to the world. That's it. That's it. That's the whole of the Christian walk all summed up right there. That's it. And if you don't know Christ, your first step is receiving forgiveness So that Christ can deal with the penalty of the sin that you face if you don't know Christ. And then all these other things come after that. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, took our place, bore the wrath of his father so that you might know him. Why does that happen? You surrender, you receive that gift that he's offering by faith. I trust Jesus that you did what you said you did and that you are who you say you are. And I am surrendering completely to you. Not just, I just want to get my ticket punched so I don't face hell. No, I want, I want you to live your life through me. I want to be yours. I surrender completely to you. My life is your life. You do with me as you see fit. I am yours. That's the idea. And then what does he do? He transforms you. And then ultimately we face that day where we'll be completely transformed and we will see God as he is because we will be made perfect. Not that we'll be God, but we will be perfect. We will be without sin. And God's in that process. So if you've never made that decision, let today be the day that you say, today is the day that I know that I know God. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, can I just tell you, this is, this is not what we talked about today. This is not just for some super spiritual heroes. 
This is not just for some spiritual leader. This is not just, well, these are for people who really love God, you know, just really want to go deeper. No, this is the norm. This, understand me, this is the biblical norm for what it means to follow Christ. We have taken what is nominal and tried to make that the norm. That's not the norm. Nominal is not the norm. The norm is complete surrender. That's the norm. That's the norm that Jesus expresses. That's what he tells us. There may be some of you here, and and I don't know how uncomfortable this is. There may be some of you here that you would say, you know what? My norm has been nominal. And I know that I've been, I know that I'm a follower of Christ, but, but, but I, I need, I need to, there's some things I need to release. And you know what? We'll go, we'll go this far because biblically this is where we are, right? There, there may be some of you that you may say today, you may have realized, you know what? I really don't even know him. I thought I did. I, I would say I did, but now I listen to this. I, I don't know him. I need to know him like truly know him biblically know him. Not just know about him. Not just, yeah, yeah, I prayed a prayer. No, I mean, like, I, I, I need to know him. I need to truly know him because I never have really known him. God desires us to know him. The only way we know him is through Christ. And if we know him, he changes us to make us more like Christ so that we can know him even better. And then we can go out and in our knowing, make him known. That is what it means to live with both more and less. Caring much, much more about fewer things. Caring much more about one thing. Caring most about one thing, and that is knowing God and Jesus Christ, the one that he sent. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We're thankful for the privilege, for the honor, for the glory of knowing you. God, you lay it out in your words so clearly. This is what it means to know you. God, there's not a single thing today that has not been said over and over again. Not just from this pulpit, from pulpits all over, all over the place, all over the world. But Father, today we're asking here, now, that you would just take those simple truths, those unchanging truths, that you would do a work in each of our hearts. And if, we are, if we're followers of Christ, but we just haven't been growing because we've just been floundering and we've just stayed put in sort of an immature place, Father, I pray that today would be the day that we would say, no more, I'm, I'm, I'm turning some of these things over to Christ. I'm turning all these things over to Christ that, that I've been trying to hang on to. I've been trying to shore up and build up and prop up my own, my own Christianity with things that are not of God and that they would cast themselves completely and totally upon your mercy. Father, there may be people here this morning or listening or watching who would say, I I don't know, I don't know God. And they need to come to Christ in salvation and surrender completely to him. Father, there may be people here who have just been just nominal believers. They're just marginal Christians. They just want to get just close enough to you, Lord God, to avoid hell, but they don't want to be changed. Father, that's not biblical Christianity. And I pray today would be a day of surrender for them. That they would say, I want all of God, no matter what it costs, 
no matter where it takes me, no matter what he says, no matter where he leads, I'm his. I'm all his. I belong to Christ. He can do with my life as he sees fit because I'm his. Father, I pray today would be that day. Today would be the day that there are people who can look back and say, today is the day that I truly began to know God. And I pray that you would reveal yourself through your word, by your spirit, for your glory. So we give this time to you. Father, we know that people may need to pray or discuss or talk or sort or get direction on next steps, how to know Christ beyond a doubt, maybe being baptized, whatever. Father, we we pray that in this time of decision that you would work as you see fit. And then beyond these walls, beyond this time, beyond this moment, that you would transform us in the likeness of your son on a daily basis. Father, we pray that you would just pour yourself out upon us. Pour yourself out on East Haven. Lord God, do a work within us. Lord God, wake us, stir us, move us, enliven us, breathe on us. Lord God, you do a work that only you can do for your glory and your glory alone. So it's nobody can get credit except for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.